Welcome back to Redressing Weddings. I'm Kenya Gutteridge, your host for this episode. Over the course of the podcast so far, we've examined a whole range of dynamics that come into play when queer and trans folks choose what to wear for their wedding day. From the social meanings attached to certain garments, like the wedding gown or suit, to fulfilling family expectations, to the pressures around body image and the way you actually fit into your clothes. Most recently, we've turned our attention to the way the wedding occasions a very intentional performance of self through decisions around dress for many queer folks. For many, this meant expressing a specifically gendered sense of themselves through their clothes, sometimes in ways that might show up to some as counter to their usual gender presentation or the gender identity these others know them as or presume them to be. In this episode, we'd like to look at this in more depth, how the wedding can provide the occasion for exploring or representing one's gender identity through the clothes one wears. We want to be sure not to suggest that everyone experiences their gender as a performance, and we want to take seriously the ways the stakes of and motivations for this kind of gender exploration differ widely depending on how one identifies and gets recognized in the world. Careful to recognize these factors, we want to examine the wedding as an occasion for the revisitation of a specifically gendered sense of yourself in ways both playful and earnest for oneself and for others. First, let's hear from Riley about how his gendered sense of himself has changed over time showing up in specific ways that have to do with his choices around his appearance. I identify as a transgender man, but I definitely am exploring a little bit of femininity. So, like, I don't entirely know how to describe that, but transgender man is the most broad label that fits me. Like, I've, um, I had both of my ears pierced, or, like, two piercings in each ear before I transitioned, and I recently started wearing earrings again. Like, you know, I grew my hair out and dyed it blue, Though he hasn't settled yet on the specific way he wants to do this, Riley wants to make sure to express his femininity and his recent embrace of this aspect of himself through his wedding outfit somehow. Here's some of his preliminary thinking about this. So I'm not sure. I know there's sort of an iconic Billy Porter look where he shows up in what's a tuxedo on the top and a big poofy ball gown on the bottom. I like that idea Although I, well, I'm not a fan of tuxedos because I'm a performance musician and I've just worn way too many of them and been super hot and sweaty the whole time. And I feel like I look like an overdressed penguin, but something with like a suit and tie. And I'm also not a big poofy dress person. I'm very short and I'm not like, I'm not fat, but I'm also not the most skinny person out there. So something big on my bottom half will just make me look shorter, but sort of a more slim skirt bottom part, maybe some like high heeled boots, not super high but a couple inches, and sort of a button-up shirt and tie, maybe a suit jacket, something similar to that. For Riley, his desire to wear this gender-bending outfit, an obvious mix of some highly feminized and masculinized articles of clothing, the tuxedo and the ball gown, was very much about his desire to bring every part of himself to his wedding, and to make them known through the clothes he wore. Here he is talking a bit about this. I would want to be able to express myself fully in whatever way I want at my own wedding because, 
Like, it, this is our day about our relationship. Like, I get to make the rules. I get to decide what I do. And no one can, no, as you know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, no one gets to stop me. For Riley, then, pushing the bounds of his gender presentation on his wedding day was as much about bringing a whole, authentic version of himself to the occasion as it was about presenting the wholeness and authenticity of his relationship with his partner. Albeit in a different way, the other interview we conducted for this episode, with Lex and Lydia, a couple comprised of two women who both identified as cisgender and lesbian, also hits on the way certain intentionally gender nonconforming choices around dress can be about presenting an authentic version of your relationship to your loved ones. Here's how Lydia, who plans to wear a white wedding gown, put it. I guess what I'm trying to say to myself is that you can be princessy in a white dress and still be the spider killer and, you know, the tire changer and the he-man with the toolbox. You don't have to fit into the man slot or the lady slot. Um, You can be an excellent mixture of both, and that's okay. I love this. So for Lydia, not totally unlike it was for Riley, the wedding was a chance to defy cis-normative scripts that would presume certain gendered things about her based on her appearance, as well as heteronormative scripts that would presume one of her or Lex to be the so-called man in the relationship, and the other the so-called woman. Her partner, Lex, who says she tends to present herself in more overtly butch ways than Lydia, also had something to say about this. I spoke to Lex in French, and we've enlisted the help of Wendy Peters to narrate her responses in English. For me, the wedding is a chance to present myself a bit differently. I'm usually assumed to be the man in the relationship. Like, it's assumed that I change tires and kill spiders, whereas I hate spiders. So I find getting the chance to wear a cape or to walk down the aisle with my dad is a way to get in touch with the more sensitive side of myself that I don't usually get to really show because there's this assumption that, oh, you look like the man, you don't have feelings. Drawing on the same masculinized activities Lydia did, spider killing and tire changing, Lex also emphasizes the way cis-normative and heteronormative scripts get grafted onto her because of her self-presentation. As she implied, though, the wedding was not only a chance for her to present a more sentimental and implicitly feminine side of herself to others, but also to get in touch with this side of herself, herself. She explains this as a chance to liberate a gendered sense of herself that does not always get to see the light of day. In terms of walking down the aisle, I represent more masculine than Lydia, so typically it would be me waiting at the altar for her. But we are saying that Lydia is not as close to her parents, so her dad's not even going to be at the wedding. So she was like, hey, that's something you could do. You could walk down the aisle with your dad. You're really close to your dad. And that was a great idea. And it would be sort of like freeing this part of me that's a little princess with my cape and all this stuff in pink and green. And it would undo this idea that the person who's more masculine is the groom and the more feminine one is the bride. 
What was so interesting about Lex and Lydia's decisions around dress, too, was how strongly they had a sense that what makes the clothes is what you do in them. Here's Lydia again. At one point, I was a bit tentative about wearing that dress and being the feminine figure in a wedding, just because, in a weird way, it almost feels like giving in to a type of heteronormativity. But I think the way we've conceptualized it with me being at the altar and Lex walking down the aisle, it's not going to feel in the moment like I'm giving in and like I'm being put into you know, a box and, and you know, marrying a man. The fact that Lex planned on wearing a tux, but having her parents walk her down the aisle to meet Lydia in a dress at the altar, figured very prominently in the way they both described their gender nonconformist choices around wedding clothes. They both seemed to have a strong sense that clothes only took on meaning from how you wore and moved in them. To this end, Lydia described the deep importance of her wedding clothes as follows. The whole ritual of it, and I think clothes in this particular sense are part of that ritual, a ritual object, if you will, that helps you conduct it in a way that fits for you, fits for you, know, you as a couple. And they're important because of that, that aspect of them, that, that sort of ritual aspect of them. I love this so much because, to me, this ritualistic aspect of clothing gets at the way they can be a means to revisit and re-embrace your sense of self, sometimes stitching an earlier version of yourself into your present. Here's Lex again, explaining her decision to wear a cape in more depth. What we wore for the first ceremony we had was more in line with what we wear every day. I had my beanie, I had my boots, and Lydia tried to match my boots. Whereas for the second ceremony, we're going to play more and try to go big. When I was little, I was known for always wearing a little cape that I would make out of the stuff in the laundry basket. So when we were talking about alternatives to the veil, I was like, well, I'm going to wear my cape. Though the stakes were no doubt different, and higher, I might add, for Riley. His wedding clothes also figured as a way to tend to and care for an earlier version of himself. I don't know. I've always liked wearing suits and ties. I wear them traditionally when I dress up, but I also have been known to do drag in my free time. It's queer culture, and that's something that has brought so much joy to my life. And it's also just, um, before I transitioned, stuff like that caused me so much dysphoria and so much I guess, pain, for lack of a better word, and sort of being able to do it now and still like the person that I see is really cool. So, for Riley, not only was his wedding outfit a chance to celebrate drag as a part of queer culture, but also this bygone femininity as part of himself. This transformational dimension of clothing might allow him to revisit a version of himself that had generally been quite uncomfortable for him to encounter up to that point, and to revel in and hold up this newfound intimacy with it for all to see. 
While the motivations behind these folks taking the wedding as an occasion to push the bounds of their gendered self-presentation were undoubtedly quite different from one another, and the stakes of them doing so quite uneven, too, what is clear is that these clothes were always transformational. They marked new ways of understanding themselves, presenting themselves to others, and relating to the world. They all managed to hold up wedding clothes as objects capable of alchemizing all sorts of relationships, not just the one of the couple getting married. Some quite plain to see, and others quite intimate, known only to the person or the couple themselves. Thanks so much for joining us for this, the last of our thematically organized episodes of Redressing Weddings. In our next episode, we'll talk to Owen, the first of three marriers to whom we've respectively dedicated an entire episode. Their interviews work so well to distill so much of what we've been discussing so far. We look forward to having you join us in these in-depth conversations. Redressing Weddings is produced by Ilya Parkins and Kenya Gutteridge. Editing is by Kenya Gutteridge. The podcast is supported by funding from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. Our deep thanks go to all participants for sharing their stories.